All right. Uh, I've got a lot of scripture to share with you. And this message is based on some of the podcasts that I've done recently with different, some of the different scriptures that I didn't get to in those podcasts. And it's basically more of a, uh, a general message uh, because I did some specific messages like, are we under the dietary laws of the Old Testament? We did a podcast on that. I did a podcast on, are we to keep the Sabbath law? Because many teach that. And the answer biblically is nay, no, to both of those uh, teachings. In fact, if you've been at Blessed Open any time long or you're familiar with our teaching, uh, you're t- familiar with my teaching as a pastor, uh, you know very well that we warn against unbiblical extremes. We warn against license and legalism because the road is narrow that leads to life. Amen. And those who turn God's grace into a license, which there's a number of books like Jude and Second Peter and parts of the Apostle Paul's letters and other writings as well that warn of those, against those who would turn God's grace into a license for immorality, that we can just live, run amok, live in sin, not obey the Lord, be in rebellion to him and call ourselves Christians and still inherit the kingdom of God in the end. They're going to have a very, very, very rude awakening on judgment day because the Bible says, be not deceived, Paul says, the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. However, there's another extreme. People see the licentious libertine extreme, and then they turn the other way, and they go swing the pendulum all the other way where they think they have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And they're teaching others, and a lot of people see this chaos in the quote-unquote church of people just living like hell, thinking they're going to heaven, and they, they think that's wrong, but then what happens is they get suckered into believing that you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved, and that the Mosaic law, which was given to the Jews for a period of time, was really, you know, for us too. And we must keep it to be right with God. And that's what we call legalism. You're being, putting on people rules, laws that God never intended them to be under. And so I deal with both sides and, and look at both false teachings because they're very, very serious. And we need to understand what the scriptures teach. We also need to have answers. If somebody came to you and they said, hey, you have to keep the, law, you have to keep the Sabbath and you, have to, you can't eat pork and you can't eat shellfish, you know, and, you know, and so forth. And you can't have two mixed fabrics in your attire and, you know, all kinds of different things. And you can't turn on your heater on Saturday uh, and so forth. And you can only go a mile on Saturday. If they said these types of things to you, how would you respond? And if they said, hey, you know what, you're going to hell because, you know, uh, or you're going to, you know, be annihilated, as some of them will teach, because you don't follow these laws. How would you respond? Well, I want this to be, this teaching, to be one of the best messages you could ever hear, because I want you to be equipped on whether or not we are under the law of Moses. And I'm not going to be dealing, I'll be dealing briefly with the Sabbath and dietary laws, just ever so briefly, because I have whole podcasts that you could refer back to just from last week that deal with both of those subjects. But I thought, you know what? I was asked by a brother, because of one of the devotions I did, uh, during a, or a devotion that I did, I did a couple teachings, one at Jonathan's church on Wednesday night, which was a great time with the believers there. The, the church that, that Jonathan's passion is just beautiful, reminds me of Blessed Hope, Simi Valley, a lot of people that just love Jesus, it's exciting. Uh, my only regret is I couldn't be there for the Sunday service as well. But I'm encouraging you right now to just keep them, not only keep them in prayer, but be aware that we have to be concerned about all these different things that are going on. And I was giving a message totally different than any of the podcasts I'd done, totally different than what I'm going to be sharing today as well. But a brother asked me afterwards, uh, Nico, great brother, it's great to see him out there serving. Are you going to expand on this? Because, you know, I'd love to see expansion on this. You guys talk about this Sunday. Well, I had two or three things. I was working on for Sunday. I was praying and I wanted to get the word from the Lord, you know, what I should preach on. And as he encouraged me in that, you know, and thought about, I thought about, I thought, you know what? 
We've been hitting this a little bit lately. Let me hit it on a Sunday, and I'll expand on what he's talking about. And then next week will be more of some of the things I was talking about that he was excited about along with this that I'll talk about next Sunday, uh, which is a really interesting angle that you can take when you're dealing with the law of Moses. Some things that I'd say most Christians have never seen. I, I've been a pastor. I've been teaching for years, and it's been more recently where I'm like, wow, there's this interesting phenomena in the Old Testament law of a shift that takes place, which just underscores the fact that it's so absolutely impossible, even within Torah, before you get to the New Testament, to keep the law of Moses and not be under God's wrath, you know? So we'll get into that as well. But I want to quote to you a couple different popular ministries that teach that you have to keep the Sabbath and you have to keep the law of Moses and uh, that are making headway with many people. I've been on the mission field a number of times and sometimes I deal with Seventh-day Adventists. I love to talk to Seventh-day Adventists. A lot of them have a zeal for God and excitement uh, and I love them but I feel bad for them at the same time because their leadership has skewed the message, you know. So if you're in the Seventh-day Adventist community or you're the, in 119 ministries, you've administered to these folks or some other Sabbatarian group or group that teaches that you have to keep the law of Moses, I'm not your enemy. I love you. Paul Sim says to the Galatians who fell under the same false teaching, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth, you know? And we don't please men, we seek to please God, amen? So I want to encourage you uh, to, under, to just weigh this out with the scripture because I'm going to give you so many clear scriptures that we're not under the law of Moses, and that it's very dangerous to think that you are. In fact, it could be soul damning. In fact, if you act upon it and think that you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved, Paul makes it very clear. So he says, stand fast in the freedom or with Christ has set you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. He calls it a yoke of bondage, the law of Moses. He said, any of you seeking to be circumcised, to be justified, or seeking to be justified by circumcision, he says, you have been cut off from the Christ and you have fallen from grace. That's serious stuff, folks. So as we get into this, I want you to really pay attention. One Night Team Ministries, which has a very large presence on the internet, and they're constantly telling people they have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. I was reading an article entitled uh, Equivocation on Commandments by, one, by a, an associate of the One Nineteen Movement. And after quoting Revelation 22.17 out of context, or there's what they say about it is out of context, I want you to hear what they say. They quote Revelation 22 or 12, 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And a couple similar verses, after they give a couple similar verses, they state, quote, when Yeshua says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. He is talking about the commandments of God. The same commandments, uh, Conformity, the same commandments conformity referred to as the Torah. So what he's, he's saying, when Jesus is saying, if you keep, you know, to keep my commandments, he's really talking about Torah, the first five books of the Bible, where you have to keep the Sabbath, where, you know, you can't eat anything like, you know, pork or shellfish and what have you, where you can't travel more than a mile on the Sabbath, where you can't even work on the Sabbath, where you have all these incredible, not only dietary laws, but a lot of strict laws, which we're going to get into in another study, because when you start looking at it, most of these people that are saying they're keeping the Sabbath aren't keeping the Sabbath. When you look at the laws, they're so stringent. But it's interesting, they state specifically, he's talking about the same commandments he's talking about refers to as the Torah. So when Jesus talked about keeping his commandments, was he talking about the first five books of the Old Testament? Uh, commandments that were given to the Jews, to give in Israel specifically? 
And not given to all Jews, by the way. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the covenant God made with Abraham, which was never annulled, which is by salvation, by grace, through faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are never seen keeping the Sabbath. They were never given the Sabbath law. They were never given a bunch of other laws that came under Moses later. So is Jesus talking or expecting us to keep the Sabbath laws and all the other Mosaic laws? If he is, then I'm going to keep them. If he's not, and he's got other laws for me to keep, and he's warning us not to tell people they have to keep them, then I'm going to warn people because that's exactly what you have in Scripture. You have warnings in the New Testament, in the law of Christ, that warn us against putting these laws on people in the Old Testament. Talk about the law of Moses. The first five books, the law or Torah. Now, in an article by a Seventh-day Adventist, a Seventh-day Adventist entitled Questions from Seventh-day Keepers, and this is pretty typical of a lot of Seventh-day Adventists, they write, if we do not keep the fourth commandment, and the fourth commandment is, out of the ten, is to keep the seventh day or Saturday holy. If we do not keep the fourth commandment written by the finger of God, why did God write it in the first place? Revelation 22, 14 and 15 says, then they quote this verse, which, listen to this, blessed are they who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now, keep in mind, when you're a Seventh-day Adventist or you're 119 Ministries and you run across somebody who's saved by grace through faith, they're following the teachings of Jesus Christ, they're following the teachings of the apostles, you know, and the new covenant. And then all of a sudden they share these types of scriptures and then they say, hey, it refers to Torah. And also before you know it, they got people thinking, oh, I have to obey the Old Testament laws that were given by God at Mount Sinai to, to, to uh, the Israelites, to the Hebrews. And all of a sudden they're under this weight and they're trying to keep Saturday and they're trying to do all these other things. Although I have to say they pick and choose which one they want to keep out of the 613 laws, by the way. They don't keep every jot and tittle at all, not even close. It's kind of a grab bag. Okay, we'll keep this, but not this. We'll keep this, but not this. But Paul said, if you're trying to keep any of the Mosaic law, he says, you're under obligation to keep the whole law or you're under a curse, which we'll get into that a little bit later. So it's kind of fascinating when you think of this because you have, you have this situation where they're being enforced. And by the way, when it says in 22, 17, 14 and 15, blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life. Is obeying his commandments, is that what gives you the right to the tree of life? By the way, that's in the King James Version. That is not in the oldest manuscripts. That's why you, if you have the ESV or you have the NIV or the NASB or pretty much any modern translation, you won't find it. You won't find it for, you know, 1,500 years in any Greek manuscript that get, but in any manuscript that you have to keep the uh, commandments of God to have a right to enter in or to eat from the tree of life. What am I saying? Well, what happened here is Desiderius Erasmus, he had an older manuscript of the book of Revelation which didn't have the last verses. So what he did, he took the Latin Vulgate, a Latin version of Revelation, and translated it into what the Greek might have said. And then from the Greek, he translated it into what the English might say. And guess what? Not one manuscript has, not one manuscript has, if you keep his commandments, you'll have the right to the tree of life. You know what they all have, by the way? Blessed are those who wash their robes, who wash their robes, not do his commandments. 
Blessed are those who wash their robes. It's talking about, by, isn't that interesting? It's talking about salvation by grace, being washed in the blood of Christ, amen? So we can enter into his kingdom. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter by the gates into the city. Now, surely, if someone says, I've washed my robes in the blood of Christ, but they live in rebellion to the New Testament law of Christ, which is our guide, and they, and they give the finger to God and say, I'm going to do my own thing, but, I'm, but Jesus died for me. You know, Paul said, be not deceived. They won't inherit God's kingdom, okay? So we're not talking about lawlessness here. We're just talking about what law are we under? We're not under the old covenant law. As you'll see in a little bit, we are under the what? The law of who? The law of Christ. That's what we read in the New Testament. And by the way, we're not under the law of Christ as a means whereby we earn or merit our salvation. We have salvation already through faith in Christ. And as we continue in the faith of Christ, we continue to seek him. We continue to be forgiven. We continue to be cleansed. And we continue to obey the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see the place that the Old Testament does play in the believer's life hopefully, Lord willing, in the next study. So having understood this, we see that there's ministries out there, quote unquote, telling people, you gotta keep the Sabbath. You gotta keep the dietary laws. You have to tithe. So if somebody hasn't given 10%, you know, continuously, legitimately, you know, consistently, uh-oh, you know, some of these ministries will teach you're in trouble with God because you're not obeying his law, you know. And it just gets crazy. In fact, the Seventh-day Adventist movement, they teach you have to tithe, you know, 10%. That's a law. That's in, that's in Malachi, guys. That's not in the New Testament. The Bible says we're supposed to give according to how the Lord prospers us with a grateful heart. And you know what? In some cases, people will give over 10%. Somebody might give 8%. It's not a precise deal. It's like you should be surrendering our whole lives to the Lord, though. Amen? But as the Lord leads us, we, we pray and we seek him to build his kingdom and and we give accordingly as he leads us. And I think it's important that we understand there's a lot of people that are under these Old Testament laws that benefit the groups they're in because they constantly have to give 10% or they feel like they're, they're damned or they have to keep the specific dietary laws or they have to be there on the Sabbath, you know? And then they're taught that those who aren't doing that are false churches or maybe they're not Christians or maybe they have the mark of the beast because they don't keep Saturday. Some really, really strange things that aren't in the scripture. So now... My premise is this. My premise is that nowhere are we Gentiles, believers, put under the law of Moses in the Old Testament, number one. Number two, even the Israelites who were put under the law of Moses in the Old Testament were divorced by God from the Old Covenant and could no longer please God and never were able to attain the perfection that God called for under the Old Covenant. And even, the, even Israel has been divorced from the Old Covenant. So there's nobody that can keep the Old Covenant or can relate to God through the Old Covenant and be in favor with God through the Old Covenant because Gentiles are not under the Old Covenant. And Israel was divorced by God, as we'll show in the Scripture, from the Old Covenant. So just the first part of my premise uh, shows that the church, you'll see, was never given the law of Moses to keep. Okay, you never see the Apostle Paul or James or John or Peter or Jude saying, make sure you keep the Sabbath. Make sure you keep the dietary laws. You don't see that. In fact, you see warnings against those who would saddle people and yoke them with such bondage. Now, it's interesting. Uh, years and years ago, I was invited with a bunch of pastors from Simi Valley to go to uh, Israel 
And one of the Israel trips I took, it was one of my early Israel trips. I had a great time. A lot of see me pastors and it was great getting to know, know the brothers better and better. And it was a beautiful time. But we were kind of brought into a room. And in that room, we were addressed by a man who identified himself. He was wearing all the garb as a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee. And he wanted to give us the reasons he believed Jesus was not the Messiah. And we had the pastors and the pastor's wives there. And he was going to argue and just give us a lecture why Jesus was not the Messiah. And you know what? I thought, I don't know if this is the best idea for the pastor's wives and people that aren't, you know, that they could be shaken here there on an Israel trip, you know, wanting to be excited about the Lord. And we're not going to really be able to rebut this guy as far as I know. And he could really get in their heads if he twists scripture and so forth. So I found a place in this cubicle kind of thing. It's where they sold trinkets and stuff, where these guys ran this shop. And I found a little basket to sit on in the back to pray that, you know, just do some spiritual warfare and cry out to God that, that this guy would not dissuade anybody from following Jesus. And as I was doing this, and all the guys and the gals were cramming in, you know, it got kind of tight. And, I, and all of a sudden, a lady came back to where I was at. She got kind of found her way, a little niche place to stand. And I thought, you know what, I need to give up my seat, you know, because uh, I'm not going to be sitting down as a guy and a gal standing. So I said, hey, would you like my seat? And I assisted and she took it. And now I had to find a place because I'm a little bit bigger than her, right? And I didn't really fit in her niche place. So I wandered and found a spot right by in the middle by this like, you know, there was a counter where I think, I thought the guys were going to come out. Then there was this thing in the middle that had trinkets on. I'm standing there and the Pharisee guy comes out and stands right next to me where he's going to talk. And we're pretty squished together. And I'm like, okay, Lord, you always do this to me. <laughs> I was like, okay, Lord, you know, whatever you're going to do, you're going to do. And I'll just say this. It got pretty ugly as far as what he was saying. He was denying that Jesus is the Messiah. He was saying, look, it says in Isaiah 53, you guys say this about Jesus as Messiah. It says his seed will prosper, but he was never married, you know. And he talked, you know, talking about how we're not under the uh, old covenant or, or we're under the old covenant and the old covenant is a covenant that continues to this day and we're still under this old covenant uh, that God gave us as Jews and there's no reason that we would even need a new covenant and these things. And then I had to talk, you know, a couple of us spoke up and I mentioned to him, I said, when it says his seed will prosper there, I said, it's speaking of spiritual seed. It's not talking about him having children. And I let him know right there in the book of Isaiah, it talks about, uh, you know, the, the, the Jews that were in rebellion to God were the seeds of, seed of serpents. I go, you don't think that's physical, do you? Right? And he had to acknowledge that. And then I said, when it talks about a new covenant, I go, you need a new covenant. I go, because it says in the scripture that God divorced you under the covenant that he made you, made with you at Mount Sinai. And he hemmed and hawed and said, never says that. Nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that God divorced Israel from the Old Covenant. Well, then I produced Jeremiah chapter 3, which we'll go to right now. Jeremiah chapter 3. And you get to Jeremiah chapter 3, and you read verse 1. It says, God says, if a husband divorces his wife and she goes from him and belongs to another man, will he, will she, he uh, still return to her? Will not that land be completely polluted? But you are hearted with many lovers, yet you turn to me, declares the Lord. So the Lord quotes his own law against in Deuteronomy 24. The Lord says if a man divorces his wife because he finds uncleanness in her, and she marries another man, and then she leaves that man or that man dies, she's not to return to that first husband under the Mosaic law, right? Because what will happen? She'll pollute the land, you know. And God quotes this passage and saying, you guys have done that to me. And not with just one lover, you've had many lovers. You've played the harlot, and then guess what he says? He says, 
He basically lets them know he's going to give them a right. He's giving them a right of divorcement. He had already given the right of the divorcement to the northern nation, Israel, the ten, uh, ten tribes of the northern kingdom. And now Judah, which comprised of the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, 150 years later, because the northern tribes went into captivity under the Assyrians, God divorced them. And now he says, hey, I divorced them. And he goes, but you've done even worse. If you read Jeremiah, more than once it comes up that Judah did even worse than her sister Assyria. And then we'll see in Jeremiah 31, it's clear that he had also given them the right of divorcement. We're going to see that. So he says to her, I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me. But she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce. Did you catch that? Because he made a covenant. And it was, the metaphor is a marriage covenant at Mount Sinai when God gave the Ten Commandments and he gave the law. He gave them a, continued to give them a bunch of laws, about 613 laws. Not all on that day. He continued to give them laws all the way up to the time they spied out the land. Gave them a lot of keep, wear tassels so they'd remember the word of God. Continued unfolding revelation in, the, in what we call Torah, the 613 laws. And he says, I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce. And sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. She did the same thing. Even worse. And the Bible says God is not partial. So if God didn't divorce her, he would be partial. She was even worse than her sister. But he goes on to state that then when they return to him in the latter days, the only way they can be forgiven, by the way, he's going to let us know, is through a new covenant. Thank God for Jesus. Amen. Thank God that God becomes a man in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and dies for our sins and pays the penalty for all the broken laws. Amen? But in Jeremiah 3, 15 and 16, just a few verses later, he says, listen to what he says. Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. In those days when your numbers have increased greatly in the land, declares the Lord, people will no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Catch that? People no longer say, the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It will never enter their minds or be remembered. It will not be missed, nor will another one be made. Wow. Do you catch what he's saying? Keep in mind the Ark of the Covenant was a highlight. The temple was the, you know, one of the wonders of the world. But it's centered around the Ark of the Covenant, which was in the Holy Holies. Because the Ark was made around the covenant that was given at Mount Sinai. The, 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 the Ten Commandments were in there, guys. The showbread was in there. Amen. The rod that budded was in there. But the Ark of the Covenant, specifically, it's the Ark of the Covenant, the covenant God had made with them. But he says, hey, I already divorced her, and you're even worse. And there's going to come a time when I'm going to bring back to myself, but guess what? It's not going to be based on this covenant. You're not even going to think about the Ark of the Covenant. Are you with me? Talk about the Old Testament law, Torah. In fact, when you go through the Torah and you start reading through the Torah, it becomes really, really clear that they cannot keep Torah. It's not going to save them. In fact, it's going to doom them. In fact, he said, put the ark or put the covenant in the ark as a testimony against my people because it basically showed how bad they were and it showed them that they needed the savior, that they need to come to Jesus, that they're going to need a new covenant because that old covenant was not going to save them. Amen? So it's interesting. They're not even going to miss it. Why? Because they're going to come to realize that it condemned them because you had to keep all the law or you'd be under a curse, all the Old Testament law. Now go to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. And it's interesting, when you get to Jeremiah 31, listen to what he says. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a what? A new covenant. 
This is the same book. After he says, I divorced you under the old covenant, I divorced uh, Israel, the 10 uh, uh, tribes in the Northern kingdom, and you've done even worse. And guess what? You're not even gonna think of that covenant again in the future at a certain point when I restore you. Why? Because the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So obviously both Israel and Judah both need the new covenant because they're both divorced under the old covenant. You could not survive spiritually before God under the old covenant. Brothers and sisters, I read this, I went through these passages, these Jeremiah 3, Jeremiah 31, some just from memory with uh, this Pharisee. And I said, look, it's very clear he's going to make a new covenant with the people of Israel and the people of Judah. Because he was saying, nowhere does it say that he divorced them under the old covenant, you know. And he said, the new covenant is just a renewing. When it says new covenant, it's just a renewing of the old covenant. I said, no, 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 man. He divorced them under the old covenant. They needed a new covenant because he divorced them from the covenant he made with them at Sinai. How do, how do we know that? The covenant he made with them at Egypt. How do we know that? Verse 31, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house, with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will, listen, look, look at verse 32. It will not be like, it will not be like the covenant. What covenant? It will not be like the covenant I made with your ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. It's not going to be like the law of Moses. It's not going to be like Torah. There'll be some features that are similar, but it's going to be way different. It's not going to be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt. Because they what? They broke my covenant, though I was. Now catch this, it's powerful. They broke my covenant, though I was a what? Husband to them. In other words, he says, I was a husband to them. To who? Israel and Judah. In other words, he ceased to be a husband to both Israel and Judah. I was a husband to them. So obviously he had to have divorced not only Israel, the northern kingdom, but the southern kingdom of Judah because he says, I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Verse 32, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Amen? This is the new covenant that we have. His Holy Spirit has written his law. We have it says in 2 Corinthians 3, it contrasts the ink of the Holy Spirit, you know, not with, written with the ink of men on tablets of stone, it says, but we have the newness of spirit, amen? We have the leading of the Holy Spirit and his holy law is written on our hearts, amen? And it's confirmed in his, his word and we have the new covenant because how do I know I'm being led of the Holy Spirit, you know? Well, guess what? You have the written word, amen, where he shows us specifically uh, what the Holy Spirit speaks because these words are inspired by the Holy Spirit. I will be their God, they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another know the Lord because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more this new covenant will be based upon forgiveness from the Lord amen his mercy and the Holy Spirit indwelling us and his law written in our hearts amen it'll come to a point where everybody will know the Lord who has turned the Lord and will enter into the millennium, millennial period. And of course, there'll be those who rejected the Lord that will not enter into God's eternal kingdom. But it's quite interesting. We, we read this very, very clearly that, now let's just recap just for a second. Did God divorce Israel? Yes or no? Yes. Did he say he's going to make a new covenant with them? Yes. Did he say, not like the covenant I made with you at Sinai or when I took you out of the land of Egypt? Yes. It's going to be a different covenant. 
When I was a husband to you, in other words, he ceased to be the husband and, and Israel ceased to be the wife of the Lord. Yet he was going to bring her back to himself, right? Even as Hosea, his wife left him, became a prostitute, but he had to pay to get her back. God's going to come back and make a new covenant based on the payment of his blood, the blood of Christ, God in the flesh, pouring out his blood, not money that Hosea paid to get Gomer back, but he's going to pay with his blood, which he did, to bring everybody to himself, including the Jews who broke the old covenant, so we could all become the bride of Christ. Amen? We're all invited to become part of the bride of Christ. Unfortunately, most people reject that invitation. But guess what? When you come to the New Testament, if you've got your Bible, you can go to Rome or Hebrews chapter 8. This passage in Jeremiah chapter 31 is quoted at, length, at some length in both Hebrews chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 10, emphasizing that we're not under the Old Covenant, but we're under the New Covenant. And it's the book of Hebrews, written to Hebrew Christians, to stand fast, warning these Hebrew Christians not to go back to the Old Covenant. Not to fall into the snare of thinking you have to keep the Old Testament laws like 119 Ministries falsely teaches. In fact, when we get to Hebrews 8, verse 6, we read this. But now he, meaning Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, i.e. the new covenant, which has been enacted on better promises. Why would you want to go back to the Old Testament law and try to keep it? You'll just be under a curse. You'll just contemn yourself. We have a better priesthood in Jesus. We have a better covenant and we have better promises in the new covenant. Amen? Verse seven. For if the first covenant, the law that was given at Mount Sinai, the law of Moses, had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. It wasn't fault. It wasn't a faulty in the sense that it was impure or something like that. It's just, it, it says in Galatians, Paul says, if God was able to give a law that would save us, he would have given it. In fact, it couldn't save us. It basically was a mirror of God's holiness and his righteousness, but also a picture of what he was going to do in the new covenant. And people cannot, everybody falls short of God's glory. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. So it couldn't save people. So if it, was, if, if it could save people, he wouldn't have had to send Jesus, amen? But the law couldn't save people. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second. For finding fault with them... He says, because he really finds fault with who? Them, the people, because they can't keep God's law. They're failing to keep his law. For finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, for they did not continue in my covenant. And I did not care for them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them in, in, on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Sound familiar? And they shall not teach everyone his fellow citizen and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all will know me. Now he's projecting into the future kingdom, right? When all Israel will be saved. From the least to the greatest of them, verse 12, for I will be merciful to their iniquities and I will remember their sins no more. Praise God. Now it's the New Testament commentary on the Old Testament. That's the inspired writings of the Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews, letting us know that, guess what? God divorced them. He made the new covenant with them. The new covenant comes based on a better covenant and based on better promises. And it based on the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
and we're not under the old covenant. In fact, look what he says in the very next verse, guys. Verse 13. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first covenant, he has made the first what? Obsolete. There it is, guys. There's going to be several like this. All you need is this one, but there's several more. He's made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Wow. Catch that. Read verse 13 again. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first, speaking of the first covenant, obsolete. We're not under that covenant anymore. We're not under the Sabbath laws. We're not under the dietary laws. We're not under all those laws that were given to the Jews. We never were, by the way, if you're a Gentile believer. When he said a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. Now, most commentators will say ready to disappear, meaning the Old Testament law was falling out of favor with the Jews that were coming to Christ, and it was, and, you know, the temple was going to be destroyed in 70 AD, and there's some truth to that, but that's not the ultimate truth here. This is from the perspective of Jeremiah, and God writing through Jeremiah, when he said a new covenant, talking about when Jeremiah, by the Holy Spirit, said a new covenant, he made the first obsolete, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear, meaning in Jeremiah's day, when Jeremiah gave this utterance that God was going to make a new covenant, right? He was making the first one obsolete in his day, saying you can't keep it. You've all gone astray. You're all wandering. You're not coming back to me. Except in pretense, he says in Jeremiah. So he's saying, and guess what? This is on the eve of the destruction of the temple before in Jeremiah's day when they were being carried off into captivity into Babylon. Do you understand that? So on the eve of the Babylonians coming in because of the rebellion against God and not keeping the old covenant, he says to them, in that context, he's divorced them from that covenant. And even though he was a husband to them, he's going to make a new covenant with them. And Jeremiah is saying from his perspective, guess what? That old covenant's been made obsolete. And guess what? It's ready to what? He says it very specifically. It's, it's becoming, it's be, uh, but whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to what? After he says it's been made, he made the first obsolete. That already happened. He made it obsolete. They couldn't be saved through it, obviously. But whatever is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to disappear. When would it disappear? When would it be like, this is obvious now. It's very clear when Jesus Christ would make the new covenant with his apostles and die on the cross for their sins, amen? And he would inaugurate the new covenant. So it's interesting because in Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, on the eve of Jesus' death for our sins, he took his, got his apostles together and he brought them the news of the new covenant. This is God in the flesh. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, amen? God became a man. Verse 19, Jesus says, and it says, and when he, that is Jesus, had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, saying, this is the cup which is poured out for you, and it is a he says, this is the cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Okay? So Jesus brought the new covenant that was promised. And as the Messiah, the new covenant was actually a picture, or right here he's depicting what's going to happen. But the new covenant actually took place, or was inaugurated by Jesus, when he poured out his, his blood on the cross, taking the wrath that all the Jews, and by the way, all of us deserve. Amen? Because guess what? We Gentile believers and Gentiles that aren't believers, we don't have the Mosaic law, but guess what? We do have written on our hearts to a degree. The law of God in our conscience. It says that in Romans chapter 2. It's very, very clear. It's talking about Gentiles in general 
have God's law. We all know intuitively it's wrong to murder. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to rape. It's wrong to do these different things. It's wrong to lie. It's wrong to bear false witness. That's why we have guilt. Gentiles have laws. They have consciences to a degree. They can sear those consciences. They can, they can you know, sear them, very, burn them to a crisp, actually, and become psychopaths. It happens. But guess what? Nations that don't know Jesus still have laws and recognize things are wrong. Because guess what? And everybody's broken God's moral law, which is written in the heart. What we have as new covenant believers we have the Holy Spirit comes into our life through faith in Christ. God regenerates us. He resurrects our consciences, amen, through regeneration. And we became far more aware of the moral law that had been written on our hearts. And then we have specific teaching from the Holy Spirit regarding the new covenant uh, as we read his word. and He opens up his uh, heart and his will to us. So Jesus brought the new covenant in. And guess what? Then the, then the temple, less than 40 years later, is destroyed again. And I look at that as an exclamation point from God saying, I've already brought in the new covenant, okay? Don't think that the old covenant is still in effect. Now, it's interesting. We have now, so some would say, well, if not under the Old Testament law, I mean, don't we have commandments and laws? Absolutely. We have commandments and laws in the New Testament, in the new covenant. But we're not warned that we have to keep the Sabbath or we have to keep dietary laws. In fact, we're warned against those teachings. Look at my last two, po two of our last podcasts from last week. Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 tells us the law that we have that guides us. It says, bear one another's burdens. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law, not of Moses, thereby fulfill the law of Christ. Amen? We have the law of Christ, which is based on the new commandments he's given, which is to love one another as he's loved us and it's actually, I believe, the new covenant teaching of Jesus and the apostles. And I get into that if you want to really get into what the law of Christ is in that podcast. Paul mentions being under the law of Christ himself and not being under the law of Moses. In 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 21, Paul talks about how he becomes all things to all people that he can win souls to Christ. So when he's among the Gentiles or the Jews, if he's around with the Jews, he's not going to offend them. He'll do some of the Jewish things so he doesn't offend them so he can teach them about the Messiah. When he's among the Gentiles, he won't do the Jewish things because he's not under the law of Moses, but he still has the law of Christ because he does have the law of Christ. Listen to what he says. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a slave to all so that I may win more. To the Jews, I became as a Jew so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law, as under the law. So I'm around the Jews, I become as though I'm under the law. But then he goes on to say this, though not being myself under the law. Ha! Even though he says, hey, when I'm among the Jews, I act like I'm under the law because he doesn't want to offend them. He even had Timothy circumcised for that purpose, to be a witness. But he says, even though I'm not under the law, the, verses 19 and 21. Very clear. He's not under the law of Moses, he says. Very clear. Then he goes on to say, so I might win those who are under the law. Then he goes, to those who are without the law, that's the Gentiles, they don't have a moral law typically, right? To those who are without the law, as without the law. So I'm with them I act as one who's without the law, meaning I'm not acting like a Jew who's under the law of Moses. Though, listen to what he says here, though not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. Guess what? So he's under the new covenant law of Christ. So he's not lawless among the Gentiles. He's still obedient. He's still not chasing women. He's still not, you know, you know still not fornicating with all these women and, and, and cheating people and killing people and hating on people. He's following the law of Christ. So we have a moral compass in the law of Christ. To those who are without the law, as without law, though not being without the law of Christ, but under the law of Christ. So that I, or not being without the law of God, but under the law of Christ. So 
The law of Christ is also called the law of God there. But it's distinguished from the law of Moses, which he says he's not under. So you can say, yeah, I keep the law of God. I keep the law of Christ. That's the law we're under in the new covenant. Do you keep it perfectly? No. All of sin comes short of the glory of God. You aim for it. You try to be perfect as Jesus said, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, by saying you're not perfect, you know, how could you be saved? We're not saved through our righteousness. We're saved through the righteousness of Christ and his death on the cross for our sins. He paid for our sins so we could be forgiven. The whole deal there is the Mosaic law was given as a tutor, a guardian to show people that they couldn't be perfect and it was supposed to lead the Jews to Christ, amen? It was to lead them to Paul said he didn't even know what sin was until he became old enough. He became conscious of sin because the Bible says where there's no law, there's no awareness of sin. But when he became aware of sin, Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will save me from this body of death? Thanks be to Jesus, amen? So it made him aware of his need for Jesus. That's what the law was for. The Old Testament law was a temporary deal to bring us to Christ. But when we come to Christ, we are not lawless. Now we have the law of Christ. But it's not the law of Christ that saves us. It's the blood of Christ and his resurrection that saves us. Amen? And the law of Christ is our guide as to how to walk in faith with the Lord. Now, if I reject the law of Christ, then I'm not truly in the faith because the Bible says examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. Amen? Examine to see if you're in the faith and Christ is in you. If you're a reprobate, he says Christ is not in you. So if you're living a wicked life, that's evidence that you're not in the faith. Obeying the law of Christ is just simply evidence that you're trusting Jesus. It's not what saves you. Jesus saves you. Amen? So, I hope this is crystal clear because it's just going to get clearer and clearer and clearer. So, uh, it's important to understand, how does the law of Christ differ from the law of Moses? Well, just read the New Testament, you know, and read the Old Testament law. There's a lot of differences. The moral laws of God, as far as not stealing and not committing murder and, and not bearing false witness and so forth, those moral laws that have to do with how you relate to God and how you relate to others in an ethical way, the moral law of God never changes. So even before the law of Moses came, there were, all, there were moral laws from God, amen? And the law of Moses just simply encoded many of them or them into himself, but added a whole bunch of other laws that pointed to Christ and that were ritualistic, that were civil laws, that had to do with being a, a citizen of Israel that aren't given to the nations and so forth. And when Christ came, the moral laws of God we don't, the moral laws of God are in the law of Christ. It's still wrong. And they're all, ten, nine of the 10 commandments are repeated in the law of Christ. Nine, nine of the 10, the only commandment not repeated in the law of Christ in the New Testament is the Sabbath law, the fourth one, because it's not a moral law. You can obey Christ. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob could obey the Lord before the law of Moses came without ever keeping the Sabbath. They weren't in rebellion to him because it wasn't given to them as a law and it wasn't a moral thing with them. So it's important that we understand this. Now, it's also important to understand this. When Jesus came on the scene, guess what he started doing? He started changing some of the Mosaic laws right before their eyes. And they were tripping out. In fact, remember when his disciples were eating food without washing their hands? And they were all upbraiding Jesus and your disciples, you know, don't follow our customs and so forth. A lot of that he was even added on. But Jesus says, not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man, that what, but that which comes out of the heart. And out of the heart comes blasphemies and foolish thoughts and, and, and adulteries and all these different things. Well, guess what? When he was done, we read in chapter 7, verse 19, that he was overturning the Jewish dietary laws. In chapter 7, verse 19 of Mark, it says, thus he declared all foods clean. Thus he declared all foods clean. Praise the Lord. You can eat pork chops. You can eat bacon. 
You can eat crab legs. You can eat these types of things. He, declares that, he declared that all foods are clean. So what I'm saying is, even when Jesus was on the earth and he began and he was teaching, he was bringing the law of Christ, which was different than the law of Moses, and actually overturning certain laws of Moses, even though he himself would fulfill the law of Moses and die on the cross for our sins. In Matthew 5.33, we read an interesting thing, another law of Moses that Jesus overturned. Again, you have heard, Jesus says, that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. So guess what? The Jews were taught that they were to make sure they fulfilled their vows, right? They had to fulfill their, 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 their when they swore oaths, they were supposed to fulfill those. Where'd that come from? The law of Moses. Jesus says, you've heard that of old. Well, yes. Numbers chapter 30, verse 2 says this. When a man makes a vow to the Lord or swears an oath, an obligation that is binding to himself, he is not to break his word. Instead, he is to fulfill whatever promise comes out of his mouth. So a man swears an oath, he has to keep it. But he's allowed to make oaths, but he has to keep them. Guess what? They couldn't keep their oaths, man. They kept breaking them. And it just made them in deeper and deeper mud with God. But guess what? Jesus went on to say, hey, don't even swear oaths. He's overturning that law from the law of Moses. Because guess what? They're not under the law of Moses. They've already been divorced from the law of Moses. We've already seen that, right? He's already divorced them from that. So he's giving them new covenant teaching. So Jesus goes on to say, but I say to you, but I say to you, I'm a greater authority, he says, but I say to you, no oath, uh, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is a footstool of his feet, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, but let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no, anything beyond these is of evil. James chapter 5 says basically the same thing because it's part of the new covenant law of Christ. But guess what? That's different than the law of Moses. Law of Moses encouraged fulfilling your oaths. Jesus says, don't make them at all. Don't tell me Jesus didn't change the law because keep in mind, God had already divorced them from the law of Moses hundreds of years prior to this. Jesus is bringing in the new covenant and he's showing them that they've broken the old covenant law. Okay, they're still dealing with the old covenant law. Jesus is coming to them as a Jew that has to fulfill it because the only way he could pay for their sins on the cross is if he keeps all the laws perfectly, amen? So Jesus has to keep the Mosaic law. He wasn't divorced from it. He came to fulfill it so he could keep it perfectly, go to the cross and die for the sins of everyone. And that's exactly what he does. He dies for the sins of everyone. In fact, it's interesting. When Jesus came, guess what he said in Matthew 5 on the Sermon on the Mount? Verses 17 and 18. Listen to what he said. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, not one uh, jot or one tittle will pass away, uh, by no means pass away, until the law is fulfilled. So Christ came to fulfill the law to be the perfect candidate to die for our sins as God in the flesh. And guess what Jesus said after his resurrection, after he paid for our sins on the cross, after he lived a perfectly righteous life and paid for our sins on the cross. Luke 24, 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law and of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Not only the prophetic statements, but all the ways everybody had broken the law, all the sin that people had accumulated would be, all the wrath would be poured upon him as we shall see. 
So it's kind of, it's, it's really interesting that then when you move from the gospels, as we've been looking at the law of Christ and then him inaugurating the new covenant law, then when you go to the epistles over and over and over and over and over again, in the letters and epistles, you see Paul making declarations that we are not under the law of Moses. Several times Paul says we're not under the law of Moses. But several times also, and I go through those in a podcast, but I'm not going to go through them here. I'm going to go through many statements so that say unequivocally that we're not under the Mosaic law in different ways. Not using that specific language as I mentioned just a moment ago. In Acts chapter 15, the first church council that we're aware of in early church history happens in Acts chapter 15 as Luke records it. And what was happening is the Pharisees were saying, you have to keep the law of Moses. Kind of like 119 ministries, you know. False teachers had come in and said, you have to keep the law of Moses. In fact, we read in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, some men came down from Judea and began teaching the brethren, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You have to be circumcised even to be saved. And when Paul and Barnabas had great dissension, yeah, Paul got ticked off. And Barnabas, they had great dissension and debate with them. The brethren determined that Paul and Barnabas had some others, uh, and some others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders concerning this issue. Not saying Paul was sinning. I'm just saying he became very upset in his heart and, and Barnabas. And they began to debate and had great dissension with these Pharisees that claimed to be Christians, saying you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. And they were saying you have to keep the law of Moses, or not just circumcision, but keep the law of Moses. How do we know that? Verse 5. But some of the sect of the Pharisees who had believed stood up saying, it is necessary to circumcise them and to direct them to observe the law of Moses. It's the very thing that many Seventh-day Adventists are doing. And 119 minutes saying, hey, you have to keep the law of Moses to be right with God. Seventh-day Adventists say, if you don't keep the Sabbath day, you'll have the mark of the beast. If you worship on Sunday, that's going to be the mark of the beast. It's not what the Bible says. The Bible says a number on your right hand or forehead to buy or sell. But they make up teachings that aren't there to bolster their false teachings. I'm sorry, it's a reality. And if you're a Seventh-day Adventist who's listening, I love you so much, but I pray that you don't allow the power and the peer pressure or 119 minutes or whatever you're into around you and the movement around you to allow you to continue to follow false prophets, false prophecies, false teachings, and follow the law of Moses, and, and, which is damning souls by people trying to keep it. I encourage you, pray God, give me the strength to come out of it and join together with brothers and sisters who are following the truth and righteousness. So we see in verse 5, they were saying that you have to direct them to observe the law of Moses. Why? Verses 1 and 2, because they can't be saved without it. That's a lie. It's false teaching. Look what Peter says about this in Acts chapter 15, verses 10 and 11. At this same council. Now therefore, why do you put to God to the test by placing upon the neck of the disciples a yoke which neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? You're going to tell them they have to keep the law of Moses to be saved? Our forefathers couldn't do it and we couldn't do it. But we believe, listen to what Peter says, praise the Lord Peter, but we believe that we are saved through the grace of our Lord Jesus in the same way as they also are. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? By the way, remember Paul? Here Peter says, why are you putting the yoke of the law on them? Our forefathers couldn't keep the law, right? We couldn't keep it. We believe we're saved through faith in Christ. Amen? Why are you putting that yoke on them? That's why Paul will say to the Galatians, why will we say, stand fast the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free. Don't be entangled again in the what? Yoke of bondage. He's talking about that yoke of the Mosaic law. That you got to keep that to be right with God. Or you'll be, he says, cut off from Christ and fall from grace. This is serious stuff. 
These are soul damning doctrines. If you think you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved and you're trying to be right with God based on your performance and your works, you will be doomed. You can only be saved through what Christ did on the cross and dying for your sins and being buried and rising again. Amen? Now it's interesting because Jesus gives us a different yoke. Amen? The law, we start to realize we can't keep it. We need to be saved. Our sins doom us and we can't keep the law to be right with God. Guess what? God comes in the world, dies for our sins, pays the price. And guess what? We are invited to take his yoke which is his, and his burden, which is what? Light compared to the law of Moses. Jesus said, come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I'll give you rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon you, right? He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Enter into his rest, amen? Trust in Jesus, and you won't be like, i got to be good enough to finally... Earn my salvation. God, I do enough to get in? No. Not if, you, not if, that's, how you're, not, not if that's your plan. Of course you haven't done enough. You could never do enough. Because we could never keep his law. That's why Jesus had to die. That's the whole point of his crucifixion and resurrection. Because you couldn't be good enough to be saved. But he was more than good enough to die for your sins and rise again. Amen? Now, you see, we have this sin debt. There's two people that owe something each other when we break God's commandments. We owe him righteousness. Every time we have broken God's moral law, any law that was given to the Jews that they broke, any law, they owed God righteousness that they could never go back and pay. Because any righteousness they did subsequent to that time would be righteousness they had already owed God for those future commandments or the future keeping of his commandments. And, and they couldn't be perfect then either. So we just racked up this huge sin debt where we owe God righteousness. And guess what? God, because he's holy and just and righteous, owes us what? Punishment, wrath. Because he's a holy God. He has to punish, right? So how does that problem get solved other than our damnation? The only way that problem gets solved is if the IOU that we have, right? If God himself becomes a man and pays for it. That way, he satisfies his wrath because he takes the fine and pays the fine himself. Amen? And guess what? When he pays the fine and fulfills the law perfectly and becomes the sin offering, the perfect one, there's no more debt that we have to pay him for because he's satisfied that in his punitive or his punishment, his substitutionary or vicarious atonement on the cross on our behalf. In fact, we read in Colossians 2, check this out, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead... Colossians 2, 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven all our transgressions. Listen to this. Having canceled out the certificate of debt. Remember that IOU that we owe God? Having canceled out the certificate of debt. His law became a certificate of debt that we had because we had to fulfill it, but we couldn't. When Jesus went to the cross, he canceled out the certificate of debt, the IOU consisting of decrees against us. Okay, that was the laws that were written against us that we owed him to pay, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he paid our fine. The IOU and the commandments against us were nailed to the cross. They were paid in full. Jesus on the cross said, tetelestai in the Greek, right? Tetelestai, paid in full. Your whole debt was paid off right there, boom. And if you're saying, no, I got to go, go back and keep all those Jewish laws that were never given to you in the first place, uh, that's like pulling Jesus off the cross saying, nah, what you did wasn't good enough. I got to do it. 
That's wrong, man. That's so wrong. Well, guess what? Since Jesus did pay our debt, Paul goes on to say, don't let anybody try to get you to keep the Sabbath or to keep the festivals, keep the holy days in the Old Testament. He goes on to write the very next verses, verse 16 and 17. Therefore, verse 15, he talks about how he disarmed principalities and powers. Then in verse 16, he says, therefore, therefore, meaning because Jesus paid the debt on the cross and paid paid our sin debt. Therefore, no one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink, dietary laws, or in respect to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. No one's supposed to judge you. Or a Sabbath day, things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Those things were shadows. The Sabbath day rest, that was a shadow of the rest that I have in Jesus. Joe, do you keep the Sabbath? I don't keep the seventh day of Sabbath. I have Sabbath every day because guess what? Not just Saturday, but Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday as well because guess what? I'm at rest in Jesus. His yoke is easy. I'm, not, I'm resting from my works. My salvation is secure in Christ through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So important that we understand this. So don't let anybody judge you in regard to drinking or eating, what you drink or eat. It's not about getting drunk because that's forbidden in the New Testament law of Christ. It's not about, you know, not eating certain foods or drinking certain ways or what have you. Uh, new moons, a Sabbath day. By the way, some Sabbatarians say, well, that Sabbath day is not talking about the Saturday Sabbath. Just listen to my podcast where I go into the Sabbath and I show you the formula and the language that's used in the Old Testament specifically. It shows how Paul's using that language designating this as the weekly Sabbath, okay? By the way, he goes on to warn about being deceived. Let no one keep defrauding you by, uh, from your, of your prize by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of the angels, serving angels, taking his stand on visions he has seen, inflated without cause by fleshly mind, not holding fast to the head from whom the entire body being supplied and held together by the joints and ligaments grows with a growth which is from God. He goes on to warn. He's given us clear scripture on this subject. Nowhere does Paul say keep the Sabbath. James say keep the Sabbath. John say keep the Sabbath, right? Jude and so forth. Why, why isn't it even, why don't we read that throughout the new covenant if that's part of it? Just once to, directed to the Gentile church. We don't. But guess what? He says don't let anybody judge you on those things because Jesus paid the price, amen? We're not under that covenant. But guess what, guys? Then he warns about people that would say, but I got a vision. I had a vision. I saw an angel. And the angel told me, you have to keep the Sabbath. Guess what? Well, that's not going to actually happen like that. Yeah, well, Paul warned about that kind of thing happening. Ellen White, one of the leaders of the, the, the main female leader of the Seventh-day Adventist church, said she had a vision. An angel took her up to heaven and showed her the Ten Commandments. And the Fourth Commandment, the Seventh Commandment, rose higher than the rest. And the angel said, you guys got to keep that. And guess what Ellen White said? She said, the scriptures are very confusing to her on subjects. And I've got great quotes here that I'm not going to take the time because I don't have the time to read that I haven't printed out here where she talks about, she warns people that you better not just say this is Sister Ellen White because my, my, my prophecies are from God. And she says, I was confused about the scriptures and the scriptures didn't make sense to me, but God would give me these visions so I could understand. That's the very thing the Apostle Paul's warning about, guys, is getting away from the head, getting away from the word of God and going off of visions. And you wouldn't arrive with convictions that are so false if you just stayed with the word of God and didn't follow false prophetesses and false prophets. Ephesians 2, 15 says that the Lord, well, 2, 14 through 16, it says, uh, for he himself is our peace who made both groups, Jews and Gentiles, into one and he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. What, he, what does it mean he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall? Well, guess what? The Jews had a wall that separated the Gentiles, the court of the Gentiles, from the court of the women. 
And the Jews were separated, or the Gentiles were separated from the Jewish folks, right? And he's saying that Christ broke that down. And Paul is in a Roman prison at this time when he's writing because he was falsely accused of bringing Gentiles into the court of the Jews. And guess what? He's commentating on this whole theological aspect. He's saying, guess what though? When Jesus died, he broke down that wall. In fact, he says, by abolishing in his flesh, listen to this, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, that is, or which is the law of commandments containing ordinances, so that in, in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So he broke, the, or, or he, uh, I'm sorry, in his flesh when he died on the cross, it says that he abolished the law of commandments containing ordinances. The Ten Commandments, again, and the, the law of Moses. It's really, really clear. So now in Christ, we all can come to Christ. Red, brown, yellow, black, or white. Amen? We're all one in Christ, and Jews, obviously, as well. In 2 Corinthians 3, 7 through 11, it says, But if the ministry of death, it calls the Ten Commandments the ministry of death, because it brings death, not life. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones, that includes the Sabbath law. Talking about the Ten Commandments here. It's very clear. But if the ministry of death in letters engraved on stones came with glory so that the sons of Israel could not intently look at the face of Moses because of the glory of his face, fading as it was, how will the ministry of the Spirit fail to even bring more glory? For if the ministry of condemnation has glory, that's the Ten Commandments on the stones, much more does the ministry of righteousness abound in glory. For indeed, what had glory, in this case, has no glory because of the glory that surpasses it. So the Old Testament law has no glory because of what surpasses it. Listen to this, verse 11. For if that which fades away, the Ten Commandments, was with glory, much more that which remains in glory. So Ten Commandments faded away in the Mosaic law, whole Mosaic law faded away, including the stones, Nine of those Ten Commandments are repeated because they're part of the moral law of God that never changed in the New Covenant, but not the Sabbath law. There we have it again. Galatians chapter 3, verses 23 through 25. No, before, now before faith came, faith in Christ for salvation, we were held captive under the law. Paul's talking about as a Jew, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming of faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian. Listen to that. The law was our guardian. Schoolmaster in the King James, tutor in the NASB, or other translations, I'm sorry. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came. The law was our guardian until when? Christ came. In order that we might be justified by faith. So the law was a guardian. The Greek word is pedagogue. And the pedagogue was a guardian who would take you to school, make sure you went to school, make sure you did your work, make, pick you up, would spank you, discipline you with a rod, was basically on top of you, and he was oftentimes a slave that would work for the parents. And guess what? He's saying that's how the law was. Until you became of age, then you weren't under that garden anymore. Amen? You didn't have to have the garden anymore. And guess what he goes on to say? But now that faith has come, faith in Christ, we are no longer under a guardian. He just said the law was the guardian. But now that we have faith in Christ, we're not under the law, the guardian anymore. Because now we have faith in Christ and we have the law of Christ as our guide. Amen? Praise the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation that is in him. Amen? Now, he goes on to say, for all who rely, this is chapter 3, verse 10, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, curse is everyone who does not abide in by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, curse is everyone who hangs upon a tree. If you're trying to keep the law, you're under obligation, Galatians 5, to keep the whole law, and you're under a curse because no one could do that perfectly. Why would you even want to try to be right with God through keeping the law of Moses? Amen? Now my premise was, number one, that the law of Moses was given to Israel, not to us. 
I've already proven that. And number two, that God even divorced Israel from the law. So nobody could keep it to be right with God. And that he was going to bring a new covenant, and that's found in Jesus. So don't let anybody tell you you have to keep the law of Moses to be saved. Amen? Absolutely important. In fact, it says in Hebrews 7, verse 11, Now, if perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, that's the, uh, and it goes on to say, for on the basis of which people receive the law, why was there still a need for another priest to appear? One in order, the order of Melchizedek, which is Jesus, and not in the order of Aaron, which was the Mosaic law. For when the priesthood is changed, listen to this, when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed as well. We just got back from Mexico. And in Mexico, they have a lot of strange laws like they do in certain places around our country as well. And, well, what if, you know, some of their laws, by the way, are uh, name your child in one place, Sonora, Batman or Pocahontas is against the law, okay? If a man in Mexico, uh, for a man in Mexico, it's illegal to wear anything but trousers, according to one antiquated law. It said that if Mexico was trying to basically prove uh, they are modern to the other nations. Another law is taking your foot off one pedal of the bike is against the law. Another law, if a, if a Mexican enters USA illegally, it's illegal for him to come back to Mexico from the Mexican perspective. It's also interesting, it's also illegal in some places to say, have a nice day, okay? Uh, taking pork rinds across the border back into the United States, and they, they have great food in Mexico, but taking pork rinds across the border is illegal as well, Chad. Watch out on your way back from Mexico. I know you love pork rinds. Listening to uh, narco corridos uh, in Chihuahua or Sinaloa, Mexico is illegal. Those are drug ballads, and you can understand why that would be illegal. Amen? But guess what? What if I'm in the United States and they start trying to charge me with breaking any of these laws here in the United States? Would a lawyer have a good case against me here in the United States for breaking these laws in the United States, these laws that aren't in the United States? No, because I'm not under Mexican law in the United States. Neither are you held accountable to keep laws that were given to Israel. Do you understand? Especially when you're under the new covenant and you have the law of Christ. Amen? Let us rejoice. And let us follow the one who says, Come unto me, all of you who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. Put your trust in Jesus, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Amen? It's through him that we have faith in Christ. Blessed are those who wash their robes in the blood of the Lamb, for they will have access to the tree of life in Jesus' name. Amen.